1: Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 32, the road to Emmaus. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in deed and word before God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he, that was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he spoke to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself." Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us?
2: 33 days. That is how long my friend Laura has been fighting for her life on a ventilator in intensive care. Laura fled the city for her parents' home in Massachusetts some six weeks ago out of fear of contracting the coronavirus. It found her anyway. And days after her first symptoms arrived, Laura was sedated. She was placed on a ventilator, and that is where she is until today, fighting for her life. She is 31 years old. All across New York City, there are others drowning in oceans of grief. My friend, John, is a pastor on Staten Island. He just conducted a funeral for one of the men in his church who died from COVID-19. The deceased man's wife also tested positive and was forced to watch her husband's body lowered into the earth from a distance through a rolled-up car window. It's not just New York. The whole country, the whole world is having to steward tens of thousands of heart-wrenching stories like this. And those of us who are so-called spiritual people, well, we have to decide what we're going to do with all of this. If you're like me, you're scanning the horizon, peering across 50,000 American corpses and wondering if some of your cherished beliefs might now be obsolete. You're squinting for signs The divine, but you feel like maybe God has pulled an Elvis and has left the building. Where is God when your world falls apart? Well, if you ask that question to Luke, the gospel writer, I think he'd tell you a story about a seven mile stretch of road between Jerusalem and a town called Emmaus. Luke's story is one of seven post-resurrection narratives in the Gospels, but Luke is the only one to tell this particular tale, and like the other ones, well, it reads a little bit like a campfire ghost story. In his tale, it's been only three days. That's how long since Jesus was executed when Luke's story takes place. No one doubts whether he died, but some people now are spreading rumors that maybe this Jesus' character has come back to life because someone said that someone said that he had been spotted, but who can know for sure? Even those who claimed to see Jesus had a difficult time believing their eyes. Every tale these eyewitnesses tell is about the same. Jesus appears in their midst, he says a little something, and then he just dissolves into the atmosphere. There's no proof that he actually showed up. So everybody has to decide for themselves whether they believe that Jesus is alive or not. It is, I think, the same question that so-called spiritual people, people like us, are still having to answer. Do we believe that Jesus actually came back to life? We haven't seen him. We haven't even talked to anybody who has seen him. We are so far down the line in this historical game of telephone that we wonder whether the message has maybe gotten garbled along the way. Well, if you struggle to believe, then you may feel some camaraderie with the two travelers in Luke's tale. They have surveyed the facts, and after looking at those facts, they've drawn the conclusion that Jesus is probably still dead. We know this because they've packed their bags, And they are headed for home with grief hovering around their heads like a thundering squall line. Luke says that this road from Jerusalem to Emmaus is about seven miles long, which means it would take someone like you or I about two hours. Two hours. That's how long these two travelers had to discuss the events of those last three days. From the rigged trial to the sentence that did not nearly fit the crime, to the brutal execution that is so awful, neither one of these travelers will talk about it directly. There was also a tomb to consider, of course, and it was empty. But why? They can't say for sure. Either way, while they are discussing these disappointments, a stranger walks up and asks them why, they look so glum. Apparently, this stranger doesn't get out much, and he's missed all of the good gossip about what's happened during the Passover celebration in Jerusalem. So the travelers tell him everything they know. They talk about Jesus, this prophet who taught them so much about God in such a countercultural way that the religious aristocracy convinced the Romans to kill him off before he stirred up a riot. Now, crucifixion is a traumatic thing to watch, especially when your friend is the one being executed. So the utter disappointment of the whole experience has convinced these travelers to end their Passover vacation a little early. With downturned faces, one of the travelers turns To the stranger and says, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Now hope, hope is something we could all use a little more of these days, but they said we had hoped he would save us. Can you think of a word in the English vocabulary that's sadder than hope in the past tense? I hoped she would recover. I hoped they'd let me keep my job. I hoped that my baby would be healthy. I hoped he would choose to stick it out, at least for the children's sake. It's amazing how desperate that four-letter word becomes when you just hook a tiny D to the end of it. That Jesus, they said, made us believe. That Jesus, they said, roused our spirits and sparked our imagination. But that Jesus, they said, was just a lie, a facade. Nothing, he said, turned out to be true. It's interesting to me that at this point in the narrative, Jesus is standing right in front of them, having a Chit chat with these two travelers who don't have the foggiest idea. The word that Luke uses in this passage indicates that the problem is not that the travelers did not see Jesus, the problem is that they didn't recognize him. I wonder. I wonder maybe if God is always present on the road called grief, waiting to be. Identified, waiting to be invited into the conversation. I wonder. I wonder if maybe we become so hyper focused on our pain that we may see God, but we do not recognize God. I wonder if there are times when our eyes are open, but we are not observant. I wonder if there are times when we should be, but we aren't. Scouting for signs of the sacred. And is it possible? Is it possible that the divine is all around us, even here in this moment, even in a global pandemic, but maybe we can be too busy kicking rocks and staring at the ground that we will not recognize it? This seems to be the problem with these two travelers, In Luke's story, but it makes me wonder if this might be our problem, too. Lucky for us, God doesn't stop speaking just because we're not paying attention. The stranger on the road that day hears their complaints, and he responds with something of a a Sunday school lesson. Haven't they read the prophets? Don't they know their history? The one who was to redeem Israel is not the one who strides to victory, but one who gets crushed by power and empire. As the stranger is speaking, a warmth forms just behind their sternums and spreads across their chests. And suddenly they wonder if maybe they should transform their past tense hoped back into its present form of hope again. It's too early to say. But as they enter Emmaus, they know they would like to keep the conversation going. Now, archaeologists have not been able to locate a village called Emmaus, not anywhere in this region, and there's no record of this town and other reputable sources, which is why some scholars have called it not just the road to Emmaus, but the road to nowhere. I'm less interested as I read this story, though, in its physical geography. I'm more interested in the spiritual typology that Emmaus gives us. Because Emmaus is is not just a physical place. Emmaus is any place where you retreat to. Any place that you return to when your world falls apart. When your faith falls apart. For me, Emmaus can be retail therapy or mindless scrolling on my iPhone. It can be binging Netflix late into the night or an intimate encounter with a person who hasn't earned the right to that depth of intimacy. Emmaus is where we go to get rid of the emotions we don't want to feel, to shed the memories that we'd rather forget. The writer, Frederick Beekner puts it this way. Emmaus can be a trip to the movies just for the sake of seeing a movie or to a cocktail party just for the sake of the cocktails. Emmaus may be buying a new suit or a new car or smoking more cigarettes than you really want or reading a second-rate novel or even writing one. Emmaus may be going to church on Sunday because Emmaus is whatever we do or wherever we go to make ourselves forget that the world holds nothing sacred, that even the wisest and bravest and loveliest decay and die. Well, when our travelers arrive at their Emmaus, they ask this strange man to stay just a little while longer. And so he enters their house and he sits at their table. And then he oversteps his bounds. He's a guest but he begins to act as if he is the host. He snatches the loaf of bread sitting in the middle of the table, and before they can bow their hands and say, let's pray, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he offers it. And then and then something happens. The air in the room rearranges. Suddenly, the most marvelous sense of deja vu permeates that place. They've seen him before. They've seen this before, this pattern of taking and blessing and breaking and giving. This is the pattern that Jesus has repeated often throughout his ministry, from the feeding of the 5,000 to the last supper in the upper room. This is what Jesus does, breaks after he blesses, and then offers it to us all. And just like that, these two travelers do not only see Jesus, they recognize him. And with sure hands, he extends the loaf to them, and they are so petrified, they can't even reach for it. And just like that, Jesus vanishes and two half loaves of bread bounce off the tabletop. And that's the story's end. It's rather abrupt, really. There's no tearful, happy ending. There's no final punchline to leave us laughing, which makes the story feel all that more believable, if you ask me. You see, I think the road to Emmaus It's not just about two travelers and a ghostly appearance. I think it's a story about the deep grief that we feel when God seemingly has let us down. It's a story about bumbling fools without enough awareness to recognize God standing right in front of them. It's a story about people who experience God almost like a ghost who comes and goes, and not just when it's convenient. Which is to say, the road to Emmaus is a story about us all at one time or another. So I don't know what your grief looks like. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what loss you're mourning. I don't know the depth of your disappointment. I don't know what you once hoped for, or how you lost that hope along the way. But on my best days, on my very best days, I believe what Luke is trying to tell us. That we may walk the road of grief, but we never walk it alone. That even when we don't see God, God sees us, that the divine is always, ever intersecting our lives, even when they've fallen apart, even when we're too forlorn to recognize it. So where is God when your world falls apart? Well, according to Luke, God is waiting in the friendship that you find with fellow grievers. God is waiting in the hospitality we extend to strangers. God is waiting in the ancient words, the good news in our sacred text. And God is waiting in the mysterious sacrament of breaking bread. So that's Luke's answer. It doesn't solve all of our problems, but it just might keep us going. It just might keep us hoping. It just might keep us walking. It just might keep us looking. And if we are brave enough to begin looking, to begin recognizing, who knows? Maybe when we stop to look deeper, maybe we'll find that the thing we once hoped for is standing right in our midst. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene creeds, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text Good Shepherd all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's Good Shepherd NY to 77977. Or visit our website, GoodShepherdNewYork.com. Thank you for listening.